the Mosquito Device is staying put in Philadelphia parks, and Bright MLS is cutting the feed for expired data. What does it all mean? Tune into Tool Time right now. Welcome back to Tool Time. I'm Tom Tool. She's Jess Lyon. We're going to get her to do the bumper one of these days here. We'll see. Uh, we are back with some very interesting information here today. Something happened locally in Philadelphia Parks. We'll start there. So the there's a device that has been banned in many cities across the world called the Mosquito, and it emits a high-pitched ringing sound that can only be heard by people under 25. So I'm out. I've never heard this before. I'm out too. Okay, I didn't, I didn't say you weren't or were. And the city installed these in over 30 public parks, and now they're staying put, and other cities are getting rid of them. What do you think about all this? I think that I like the direction where the city is going. They want to kind of eliminate everything that's happening and make the city safer, obviously, for the, the residents. Um, but necessarily like targeting to under 25 i know you can say that maybe there's some data showing that those are the people who are kind of going there at these times but i would try and find something that's a little bit more broad i mean the people who are in these parks why they may be underage i feel like there's other people like maybe people who are like using drugs and there's not an age limit on that so well it's illegal so there is no there is no age limit period right that's what I'm saying. Like, people are doing drugs, like, no matter what the age. And I feel like that is going more, going on more in parks and maybe some other, like, trafficking situations in these parks after dark. So, obviously, police officers, they need to continue to do their job and look out for what's going on. I think that having this in place is helpful, but maybe making a little bit more broad. Yeah, so, th- this, this mosquito device, they describe it as a paper cut in your ear. And it's how do they target to under twenty five? Well, there's some science behind it because um, about there's dead ear hairs, dead ear hairs <laughs> in those over twenty five. So it, it it clogs up your hearing. I mean, the older you get, the more ear hair you get. This is like a scientific thing. So if you're a guy getting an ear hair trimmer, please, you're gonna look like an idiot. That's like number one. Um, and women too, if you're having that problem. Secondly, it this is another example of something that I see the city of Philadelphia do that doesn't address the real issue. And the real problem right now is there is crime that is out of control. They have safe injection sites in parts of the city. And if you don't know what that is, that means you can go use drugs there and there will be people on the scene to help you that are medical professionals. If you ever saw The Wire, this is exactly what happened in that show. I mean, and it was crazy. So, these devices, I don't think they're going to make that big of a difference. They're trying to prevent teens from loitering in parks is what I'm, I'm gathering is going you on. go hold hands with your boyfriend at like 9 o'clock at night on the swing set? Go ahead. Well, but the point is, though, I mean, it's considered it, it's considered private property once, once the sun goes down. It is. Yeah. Um, so they are trespassing. I think the bigger issue here is a safety. policing issue. It's a safety issue as a whole in the city. And it's another example of where the current mayor – I mean, I, I don't really care if these things stay or not. I mean, for, I'm, not, I'm never going to hear them. I'm not taking my kids to a public park after dark anyway. Like, this is never going to happen. So this is just a, it, it's, it's a Band-Aid on, like, a gunshot wound, right? And it, it's, it's just another example of politics and 
making it look like they're doing something rather than actually doing something that's going to matter. And, you know, the, the big disappointment here is under the last mayor, under Mayor Nutter, the murder rate went down dramatically. We, we had the highest per capita murder rate when he was elected, mm-hmm. and it, it was a lot safer living in the – I was living in Philadelphia at the time. Now it's kind of going the other way. So, you know, and I, I mean, they have a new police chief. We'll see how that goes. I mean, there's fundamental issues here that need to get corrected. So th- this is – like an afterthought compared to what's really going on in the city. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like there are certain areas where things like this need to be addressed. Um, I mean, where I live, I mean, it's pretty safe. But as you get more towards like, you know, Fishtown is still fine. But as you get up towards Kensington and they're starting to develop there as well, I mean, that's where you see a lot of the stuff. Well, I mean, the, the, in the city in general, I mean, it's, it's going to be more dangerous than other places right. anyway. So right. I, the, the point is that, are these things really going to make a difference? I mean, probably not. Is, I don't is know the if answer. a paper cut in my ear would stop me from doing anything. I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to hear it, so I have no idea. Yeah. And I really don't care. I There's a bigger call to action here, uh, and that, that falls on the government and the police force specifically. Hopefully this new police chief can do something because it hasn't been going well as of late. Um, it's really disappointing considering the direction the city was going with, with, with crime and, and these sort of things and now what's happened. Uh, second topic. Bright MLS. Now, you're not going to find this news story anywhere. This is actually knowing what goes on in the market. And Bright has, again, uh, done something here that they, you know, they just did it, which is fine. I mean, that, that's what, you know, that, that's what they, they, they have done with the off-market MLS policy. So expired listings, right? A home doesn't sell with somebody, so it gets canceled or, or it's expired. There are services out there that you can get to get the information. And reach out and help these people. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm, I'm clear they do need help because they either hired a bad agent, they got bad advice, or they didn't make the right decisions. And those are people that wanted to sell their home. So fundamentally, I, I look at this as someone that, is, that really needs some help from a good agent. Bright will no longer provide that data to these services. They say it's a violation of their terms of use. And what do you think about all this? I mean, this is all very interesting stuff here. Yeah. I think that the agents who are sitting around and just want to complain about something are like, great, this is like, you know, a way to even the playing field. However, the agents who are going to go out there and get it are going to still continue to go out there and get it. And the agents who aren't doing anything are probably still not going to do anything, you know? Yeah, well, you bring up a good point there that um, a lot of the decision-making is done by people that aren't in the trenches every day, yeah. right? So I think that, that that's fundamentally number one. And if you look at the off-MLS policy or NAR's clear cooperation, you know, I feel like they're trying to hand out participation trophies to realtors right now Just where everyone's going to have MLS. a fair and balanced playing realtor. field. And business is not fair and balanced. You know, these are – and. The consumer, they want the best result. They don't care if it's fair and balanced. They want to get their home sold for as much money as possible, or they want to find a great new property in a really competitive market right now where there's a lot of competition for buyers, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the consumer doesn't really value that as much as maybe NAR or Bright thinks they do. And, and the challenge I have with this is that you look at back at history, and let's just take local real estate history here. So I'm going to name someone that is a titan of real estate in Philadelphia, Alan Dom. He did not use the MLS for a very long time, yeah. period. He's known at, like around the country as one of the premier agents, um, Center City Condo Listings. Everyone knows, who, and now he's actually a, a councilman uh, with the city of Philadelphia, which I love, hmm. because he's trying to make a difference there where 
based on our last topic, they could really use the help, right? right? So this is someone that knows how to get things done. So he chose not to use the MLS, and he sold a ton of real estate, and people kept using him. And that's obviously changed over the past couple years, but as recently as 2008, 2010, I'm, I'm clear he was not using the MLS, and that's a, that's a really competitive way to do business. Yeah. I've got no problem with that. All that these people are trying to do in making these decisions with NAR and Bright is we want to make it as even a, level, even a playing field as possible. But that's not how it is. Well, th- any agent could go work expired listings right now if they wanted to. Anyone right. could do it. Most of them don't want to do it, and most people are just waiting for the phone to ring, and they're not being aggressive. And most consumers want an aggressive agent. They don't like aggressive agents until they have one, and then they praise them. So this is another example of you know they're, they're making these decisions, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. They're alienating their user base. I think you're 100% right where business is not an even playing field. If you are hungry and you're going to go get it, that's what's going to happen. And people are going to fall to the wayside who complain all the time and aren't doing anything, aren't taking action. But if, regardless of if this expired feed is there or not, the agents who are going to make the calls and convert are going to do it. So if you even want to look within the real estate industry, Realtor.com was the only place to get online leads. Uh, until Zillow came on the scene. Hmm. And Realtor was very slow to pivot, very slow. And now they have, but Zillow has just left them in the dust. And, I mean, historically, you look at companies like, I mean, you look at what happened to Blockbuster Video with Netflix, right? That's That's a classic example. Well, was it supposed to be an even playing field? No. I mean, that's how business works. And, you know, where the issue I keep having with this is that, the people that are making these decisions, they're not in the trenches. They're not consulting with members. Or if they are, they haven't been well-publicized meetings or they don't ask for the right feedback. And the, the, the clear cooperation policy is the same thing. Some sellers want pocket listings. And now you're limiting what someone can do. And they really have to know the rules well and understand that. And that's it. You know, most realtors aren't even going to look it up. They're going to throw their hands up in the air and say, this is what we have to do right. because that's what the rules are. And there's ways to navigate that appropriately so you're doing everything by the book and legally or in the eyes of bright because nothing's illegal they're not a legal body uh so it's just a, it's another example of people are going to figure it out all they're doing is trying to make it easy for the non-producers and you know it's like getting like a fourth place trophy like who cares yeah, i mean it, it, so i i think it's a great <clears throat> example we'll of a participation um well i mean they've already done it like this, yeah. this is a done deal it's just another example of them and, and they're, they're a pretty large MLS, right. so, and we use them because it benefits our clients, and we also are well-versed in how to take everything step-by-step step here. So it's, it's just a, it's another example of them trying to level the playing field. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this approach, and I, I don't find it— going to change anything with us. Well, it's, it's, it's not going to change anything with a lot of people. It's, you know, they're, they're, making, they're making the producers jump through hoops. That's yeah. all they're doing. And they will. Well, they will because they're smart business people, and then there's going to be the 87% that are out of the business in five years. Exactly. Okay. Well, I have a great quote today. Um, When this airs, Sunday, uh, Kobe Bryant had passed, and I thought it would be really appropriate to kind of reflect on some of the legacy that he left behind. Um, His quote on resilience, he says, everything negative, pressure, challenges, is all an opportunity for me to rise. Yeah, so I was um, down the street from Lower Marion High School when I found this out. And I, I was like, somebody texted me, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it was a TMZ report that came out. So um, 
And then I actually appreciated during the press conference the officers like gave it to TMZ a little bit because there was other people involved in this crash and they just said it, and then they didn't have all the details and like that's how his family found out, which is pretty wild. Um, so Kobe had a pretty complicated legacy because as awesome as a competitor he was, there was some off the court stuff that happened that was not that great. I'm I not going to go into it. I, I vaguely remember. Well, it, so it was it was pretty serious and. When I look at that, right, everything negative, pressures and challenges, it's all an opportunity for, for him to rise. So, you know, he almost had, like, two chapters in his career. I mean, he had two different numbers, um, and he had, like, kind of two championship runs, if you will. He had the three titles he won with Shaq, and then he won two on his own with some other well, other players on the team that were not named Shaq, that were not Hall of Famers. So, and that was years later. It wasn't, like, back-to-back. I mean, there was, there was a big gap there where there was some other teams that came into play, and that's when a lot of this stuff happened that was not so complicated. So um, when you read about him, uh, and one of the things that I, I really um, I, I really take away from everything that he did was he was on the ESPY Awards in 2016, and he said, I, this goes out to like 4 a.m., and, and or thanking 4 a.m. He, he was known for like getting up, working out before everyone else did, mm-hmm. uh, and when he was on the, the Redeem team, they called it, it was the 2008 Olympics in, I think it was London or Beijing or something. It was, they had, like, LeBron James is on this team, okay. Carmelo Anthony, like, ho- other Hall of Fame players. So they have a team breakfast at 8 a.m., and, and Dwayne Wade came out and said this. He played for the Heat. He won some, um, won, won some titles there, obviously. And he came out, and what happened was, like, everyone gets up for breakfast, and then Kobe walks in, drenched in sweat knees are iced down well and and so this is hall of fame players right Mm -hmm. that are going to be hall of famers and they're like what is going on and he literally willed himself to greatness and like i'll I'll say greatness is a choice a lot he chose greatness probably more than anybody i mean he was a freshman in high school telling people he wanted to be better than jordan and he was pretty darn close i mean that's debatable but he's been closer than anyone else in the history of the game um and it was kind of weird because I went to the Sixers game on Saturday, and we were actually like talking about him. And then he got passed um, for the the right. third and the score. And it was it, it, this whole thing is really surreal. So when I see something like that, I mean, he had a major challenge that came up off the court, a lot of pressure on him to win on his own without Shaq. And what he ended up doing is just he, he really outworked everybody and just kept getting better and better and better. And he was doing that at like age eleven and twelve. Like right. this was not anything else. So. What I see here, and he also liked, uh, there was an interview I heard with Mark Jackson, who um, went to Temple, played at Roman Catholic, NBA players, so I played for the Sixers for a bit, and he would work out with Kobe when he was like 15, and Kobe was like 11, I guess, and he said Kobe loved getting his ass kicked, or his teeth kicked in, <laughs> by older people, because that was a ch- way for him to rise, so he, instead of shying away from that, he embraced it, learned from it, and then got better, so I, that's a great example of what his work ethic was all about, and it's probably one of the more publicized work ethics you're going to see in sports. So, very long explanation, but that, that's I mean, kind of what I what I see it. there. I mean, yeah, I mean, I am not a, a basketball fan right now at all, but on his work ethic, I have seen the motivational videos that were out there. I've heard the stories. He's waking up, um, practicing from four to six, eating breakfast, practicing again, two hours, eat lunch practice again. So his work ethic seemed to be unmatched. When I hear this quote, um, everything negative pressure challenges is an opportunity for me to rise. I think of like fight or flight. You are either going to, you know, cower and kind of back down and, you know, let someone else rise to the occasion or you're going to do it yourself. And I think that's a choice that you have to make. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? He, He obviously 
fought, he rose to the occasion, and he left something great behind. So when um, in situations where you're where I'm presented with a challenge, it's great to think about something like this. Yeah, well, I mean, and you look at what what his life had kind of become. I mean, he retired, right, and then he really, you know, he really went all in on on trying to. That's a, that's a weird thing. I mean, you're playing basketball for 20 years, right? A 20 year NBA career, and he was 37. Like it wasn't like 45 or 50. He was 37 years old, and then he was coaching his daughter. Really, you know, and he was doing a lot of work there. He was writing children's books. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that happened. So. All the challenges he had on the court, but also off the court, and there's a lot of pressure for him to win. I mean, you know, he, he ended up having an all-time great legacy when it came to basketball. Yep, he was a great one. Catch you guys next week. Thanks for watching.